Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Tuesday, November 14th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all approached from a biblical worldview. So my brothers and sisters in Christ are over there putting together some wonderful, wonderful content. I would highly encourage you to get over there. I will guarantee you, you're going to find something over there to listen to. And there's a really good possibility you're going to find something over there. You're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. Um, let's see. I also want to point you at the next to last link in our show notes. It is for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide a trustworthy alternative here within our community. So go ahead and click on the link. Pastor Jay has provided a very thorough description of what we're trying to do. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we'd ask you to pass the link along so others can do the same. All right. Well, with it being Tuesday, we're going to continue on like we usually do every day uh, with our Bible reading. And then this evening, we're going to continue on on our study of John chapter 50. And we're moving into a new section, a section. Um, this is actually from, uh, I believe it's John 15 verses 12 through 16. Um, the section we, we're going to call the friends of Jesus, the friends of Jesus. So, but let's go ahead and open up. We'll open up in prayer with the third day morning prayer. It's called God, Creator, and Controller. Let's pray. Most High God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the Father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the holy scriptures, the joyful gospel, the savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name, make mention of his righteousness only, plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty, and made it honorable. May we be justified, excuse me, may we be justified by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use, not abuse, its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary. When we are tempted to wander, hedge up our way, excite in us abhorrence of sin wean us from the present evil world assure us that we shall at last enter emmanuel's land where none is ever sick and the sun excuse me 
and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right, our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for November 14th. Uh, the text is from Zephaniah 1.5. I will cut off them that worship and that swear by the Lord and that swear by Malcolm. Such persons thought themselves safe because they were with both parties. They went with the followers of Jehovah and bowed at the same time to Malcolm. But duplicity is abominable with God, and hypocrisy his soul hateth. The idolater who distinctly gives himself to his false god has one sin less than he who brings his polluted and detestable sacrifice unto, mm, unto the temple of the Lord, while his heart is with the world and the sins thereof. To hold with the hare and run with the hounds is a dastard's policy. In the common matters of daily life, a double-minded man is despised, but in religion he is loathsome to the last degree. The penalty pronounced in the, in the verse before us is terrible, but it is well deserved. For how should divine justice spare the sinner who knows the right, approves it, and professes to follow it, and all the while loves the evil and gives, its dominion, gives it dominion in his heart? My soul, search thyself this morning, and see whether thou art guilty of double dealing. Thou professest to be a follower of Jesus. Dost thou truly love him? Is thy heart right with God? Art thou of the family of old father honest? Or art thou a relative of Mr. Byans? <clears throat> a name to live is of little value, if I be indeed dead in trespasses and sins. To have one foot on the land of truth and another on the sea of falsehood will involve a terrible fall and a total ruin. Christ will be all or nothing. God fills the whole universe, and hence there is no room for another God. If then he reigns in my heart, there will be no space for another reigning power. Do I rest alone on Jesus crucified and live alone for him? Is it my desire to do so? Is my heart set upon so doing? If so, blessed be the mighty grace which has led me to salvation, and if not so, O Lord, pardon my sad offense, and unite my heart to fear thy name. Sorry, I had to take a little bit of a break and go uh, grab something and uh, from downstairs. I'm going up and downstairs, uh, unfortunately, I'm in bad enough shape. <laughs> kind of winded me there. Sorry about that. All right, um, let's see. So our reading for today is going to be Ezekiel 29 and 30, and then Hebrews 11:32 through the end of the chapter, and then Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 13. Uh, Psalm 112, and then Proverbs 27, verse 17. So Ezekiel 29, hear the word of the Lord. In the tenth year, in the tenth month, on the twelfth of the month, the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Speak and say, Thus says Lord Yahweh, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great monster that lies in the midst of his canals of the Nile, that has said, My Nile is mine, and I myself have made it. I will put hooks in your jaws, and make the fish of your canals of the Nile cling to your scales. And I will bring you up out of the midst of your canals of the Nile, and all the fish of your canals of the Nile will cling to your scales. I will abandon you to the wilderness, you and all the fish of your canals of the Nile. You will fall on the open field, you will not be brought together or gathered. 
I have given you for food to the beasts of the earth and to the birds of the sky. Then all the inhabitants of Egypt will know that I am Yahweh, because they have been only a staff made of reed to the house of Israel. When they seized you with the hand, you tore and split open all their shoulders, and when they leaned on you, you broke and made all their loins quake. Therefore thus says Lord Yahweh, Behold, I will bring upon you a sword, I will cut off from you man and beast. The land of Egypt will become a desolation and waste. Then they will know that I am Yahweh, because you said, The Nile is mine, and I have made it. Therefore, behold, I am against you, and against your canals of the Nile, and I will make the land of Egypt an utter waste and desolation, from Migdal to Syene, and even to the border of Ethiopia. A man's foot will not pass through it, and the foot of a beast will not pass through it, and it will not be inhabited for forty years. So I will make the land of Egypt a desolation in the midst of desolated lands, and her cities, in the midst of cities that are laid waste, will be desolate forty years. And I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations, and disperse them among the lands. For thus says Lord Yahweh, At the end of forty years I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples among whom they were scattered. I will return the fortunes of Egypt, and make them return to the land of Pathros, to the land of their origin, and there they will be a lowly kingdom. It will be the lowest of the kingdoms, and it will never again lift itself up above the nations. And I will make them so small that they will not have dominion over the nations. And it will never again be the security of the house of Israel, bringing to remembrance the iniquity of their having turned to go after Egypt. Then they will know that I am Lord Yahweh." Now in the twenty-seventh year, in the first month, on the first of the month, the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon made his military force labor hard against Tyre. Every head was made bald, and every shoulder was rubbed bare. But he and his military force had no wages from Tyre, for the labor that he had labored against it. Therefore thus says Lord Yahweh, Behold, I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, and he will carry off her abundance, and capture her spoil, and seize her plunder, and it will be wages for his military force. I have, I have given him the land of Egypt for his work, which he labored because they acted for me, declares Lord Yahweh. On that day I will make a horn sprout for the house of Israel, and I will open your mouth in their midst, then they will know that I am Yahweh. Ezekiel 30. <clears throat> the word of Yahweh came again to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says Lord Yahweh, Wail, alas, for the day, for the day is near, even the day of Yahweh is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. A sword will come upon Egypt, and anguish will be in Ethiopia. When the slain fall in Egypt, they, sh they take away her multitude, and her foundations are pulled down. Ethiopia, Put, Lud, all Arabia, Libya, and the people of the land that is in covenant with will fall with them by the sword. Thus says Yahweh, Indeed, those who support Egypt will fall, and the pride of her strength will come down, from Migdal to Syene. They will fall within her by the sword, declares Lord Yahweh. They will be desolate in the midst of the desolated lands, and her cities will be in the midst of the cities laid waste. And they will know that I am Yahweh, when I set a fire in Egypt, and all her helpers are broken. On that day messengers will go forth from me in ships to frighten secure Ethiopia, and anguish will be on them as on the day of Egypt. For behold, it is coming. Thus says Lord Yahweh, I will also make the multitude of Egypt cease 
by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He and his people with him, the most ruthless of the nations, will be brought in to make the land a ruin. And they will draw their swords against Egypt and fill the land with the slain. Moreover, I will make the canals of the Nile dry and sell the land into the hands of evil men. And I will make the land desolate as well as its fullness by the hand of strangers I, Yahweh, have spoken. Thus says Lord Yahweh, <clears throat> I will also destroy the idols and make the images cease from Memphis. And there will no longer be a prince in the land of Egypt. And I will put fear in the land of Egypt. I will make Pathros death desolate, set a fire in Zoan, and execute judgments on Thebes. I will pour out my wrath on Sin, the strong defense of Egypt. I will also, I will also cut off the multitude of Thebes. I will set a fire in Egypt. Sin will writhe in anguish. Thebes will be breached, and Memphis will have distresses, distresses daily. The choice men of On and of Pi Beseth will fall by the sword, and the women will go into captivity. In Tavpenes, the day will be dark. When I break there the bars of the yoke of Egypt, then the pride of her strength will cease in her. A cloud will cover her, and her daughters will go into captivity. Thus I will execute judgments on Egypt, and they will know that I am Yahweh. In the eleventh year, in the first month, on the seventh of the month, the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and behold, it has not been bound up to be, to be given healing or wrapped with a bandage, excuse me, that it may be strong to seize the sword. Therefore thus says Lord Yahweh, Behold, I am against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and will break his arms, both the strong and the broken, and I will make the sword fall from his hand. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them among the lands. For I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon and put my sword in his hand. And I will break the arms of Pharaoh so that he will groan before him with the groanings of a wounded man. Thus I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon, but the arms of Pharaoh will fall. Then they will know that I am Yahweh when I put my sword into the hand of the king of Babylon and he stretches it out against the land of Egypt. When I scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them among the lands, then they will know that I am Yahweh. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I recount Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, as well as David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, performed righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong from weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and floggings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stone, stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in desolate places, and mountains, and caves, and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. Hebrews 12 verses 1-13 through Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside every weight, 
and the sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary, fainting in heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves he disciplines, and he flogs every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we have earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our benefit, so that we may share his holiness. And all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. But to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Psalm 112 Praise Yah, how blessed is the man who fears Yahweh, who greatly delights in his commandments. His seed will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness stands forever. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends, who sustains his works with justice, for he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear an evil report. His heart is set, trusting in Yahweh. His heart is upheld, he will not fear until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has given freely to the needy. His righteousness stands forever. His horn will be raised in glory. The wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Finally, Proverbs 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And again, th this right here is a call that... that uh, I'm sorry, we run into this. I, I'm going to bring this up real quick. Um, I, I know typically I just move on and pray and we close out. Um, but this is something I've run into, um, and, and especially more recently, where people are not willing to sit down and debate and discuss differences. Now, now I'm not talking about our core beliefs in Christ. Not, not at all. Um, um, the fact is, if you don't believe in the triune God, um, if you don't be, believe that Christ was crucified, died and rose from the grave. You know, there's some of those basics that if you don't believe those, um, if you don't believe, you, you know, anyways, so I'm, I'm not going to keep going on with that, but if you don't believe those, those aren't ones we can really discuss. Either you believe them or you don't. Um, and honestly, I'll throw in there, um, creation. And I know that's going to upset people, but creation, I don't believe you can sit there and believe evolution and ignore Genesis one through three, one through four, you know, um, and just blow that off and say, oh, it's an allegory. No, it's not. 
it's not an allegory and that's not just my opinion believe me that has been what has come down through the church for 2000 years or more 2000 more than 2000 years so those are but so those are some of the core pieces but but truly what we we what we must agree upon is the gospel but there's other parts of it i i'm sorry baptism that's something we can disagree agree on and we can argue about it we can discuss it we can we can we can go back and forth presenting our arguments not making personal attacks but presenting our biblical arguments about why we believe the way we do that's iron sharpening iron so one man sharpens another and we must be able to do that in the church if we are so terrified to stand on something and be willing to discuss it and to get bent out of shape the minute somebody calls into question what we what we believe as far as some of these things the the more tertiary things eschatology i'm sorry eschatology is a perfect one again if you don't know that's the study of the end times of course to be to be factual from christ's resurrection we're in the end times but but it's a discussion of the future it's basically the discussion of revelation and like daniel and and there's parts of matthew and stuff that are all in times even thessalonians uh, i think it's second thessalonians there's there's end times prophecy there um so it's discussion of that and there and there are multiple outlooks on it on it and they all have there are biblical verses that can be argued for each of them okay um so if we can't have that kind of discussion and we may, we may not come to an agreement and that's okay because you're still my brother in Christ. I bring that up because of what we're going to talk about in the evening segment, um, and the thing and the sections about the friends of Jesus. So we've got to be able to sharpen and this verse is perfect in God's God's providence that this was the verse for today. Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. Again, when iron sharpens iron, there's friction. There's going to be some abrading. But they both come out sharper. That's the point. Christians got to have to be able to do that. And we, they may, we may ruffle each other's feathers. But we got to come out the other side better and in better that we are still unified Christians. We still love each other because we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, so I'm sorry. I, I am done with that. And we'll get back into that here for this evening segment. I just felt like I didn't want you to miss because people will hear that verse and they're like, okay, great. Yeah. They missed the whole, the whole gist of it. And I, so, so did I, so I'm not judging anybody else. So did I, but anyways, well, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. Now that I've ranted a little bit, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Again, I've just given a teaser for it. Um, so we're going to close out with a, um, uh, a, a prayer from Valley vision. It's called grace active. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, great high priest. Thou hast opened a new and living way, by which a fallen creature can approach thee with acceptance. Help me to contemplate the dignity of thy person, the perfectness of thy sacrifice, the effectiveness of thy intercession. O oh, what blessedness accompanies devotion, when under all the trials that weary me, the cares that corrode me, the fears that disturb me, the infirmities that oppress me, I can come to thee in my need and feel peace beyond understanding. The grace that restores is necessary to preserve, lead, guard, supply, help me. And hear thy saints encourage my hope. 
They were once poor and are now rich, bound and are now free, tried and now are victorious. Every new duty calls for more grace than I now possess, but not more than is found in thee, the divine treasury in whom all fullness dwells. To thee I repair for grace upon grace, until every void made by sin be replenished, and I am filled with all thy fullness. May my desires be enlarged and my hopes emboldened, that I may honor thee by my entire dependency and the greatness of my expectation. Do thou be with me and prepare me for all the smile. I'm sorry, prepare me for all the smiles of prosperity, the frowns of adversity, the losses of substance, the death of friends, the days of darkness, the changes of life, and the last great change of all. May I find thy grace sufficient for all my needs. Amen. All right, again, I hope to see you for the evening segment, and I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Tuesday, November 14th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, well, we're going to continue on in our study of of John chapter 15, John chapter 15. So let's see, we're going to uh, go ahead and just dive straight in. Uh, we're going to open up with, sorry, I was on the wrong, wrong tab there. We're going to open up with a prayer called penitence, penitence. Let's pray. O Lord of grace, I have been hasty and short in private prayer. O quicken my conscience to feel this folly, to bewail this ingratitude. My first sin of the day leads into others, and it is just that thou shouldst withdraw thy presence from one who waited carelessly on thee. Keep me at all times from robbing thee and from depriving my soul of thy due worship. Let me never forget that I have an eternal duty to love, honor, and obey thee, that thou art infinitely worthy of such, that if I fail to glorify thee, I am guilty of infinite evil that merits infinite punishment. For sin is the violation of an infinite obligation. O oh, forgive me if I have dishonored thee. Melt my heart, heal my backslidings, and open an intercourse of love. When the fire of thy compassion warms me, inward man, I'm sorry, warms my inward man, and the outpourings of thy spirit fill my soul, then I feelingly wonder at my own depravity, and deeply abhor myself. Then thy grace is a powerful incentive to repentance, and an irresistible motive to inward holiness. May I never forget that thou hast my heart in thy hands. Apply to it the merits of Christ's atoning blood whenever I sin. Let thy mercies draw me to thyself, wean me from all evil, mortify me to the world, and make me ready for my departure hence, animated by the humiliations of penitential love. My soul is often a chariot without wheels, clogged and hindered in sin's miry clay, mounted on eagle's wings, and cause it to soar upward to thyself. Amen. All right, so let's see. The evening devotion from uh, for, from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for November 14th. The text for it is from Genesis 29:26. And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country, to give the younger before the firstborn. We do not excuse Laban for his dishonesty, but we scruple not to learn from the custom which he quoted as his excuse. 
There are some things which must be taken in order, and if we would win the second, we must secure the first. The second may be the more lovely in our eyes, but the rule of the heavenly country must stand, and the elder must be married first. For instance, many men desire the beautiful and well-favored Rachel of joy and peace and believing, but they must first be wedded to the tender-eyed Leah of repentance. <clears throat> Sorry. Everyone falls in love with happiness, and many would cheerfully serve twice seven years to enjoy it. But according to the rule of the Lord's kingdom, the Leah of real holiness must be beloved of our soul before the Rachel of true happiness can be attained. Heaven stands not first, but second, and only by preserving to the end, I'm sorry, persevering to the end, can we win a portion in it. The cross must be carried before the crown can be worn. We must follow our Lord in his humiliation, or we shall never rest with him in glory. My soul, what sayest thou? Art thou so vain as to hope to break through the heavenly rule? Dost thou hope for reward without labor or honor without toil? Dismiss the idle expectation and be content to take the ill-favored things for the sake of the sweet love of Jesus, which will recompense thee for all. In such a spirit laboring and suffering, thou wilt find bitters grow sweet and hard things easy. Like Jacob, thy years of service will seem unto thee but a few days for the love thou hast to Jesus. And when the dear hour of the wedding feast shall come, all thy toil shall be as though they had never been. An hour with Jesus will make up for ages of pain and labor. Jesus, to win thyself so fair, thy cross I will with gladness bear. Since so the rules of heaven ordain, the first I'll wed, the next to gain. Wow. I had never thought of that story applying that way, but that, that, that was awesome by Spurgeon. He always, he never ceases to amaze me. He, he just always leaves me floored. All right. Well, so like I said, we're continuing on in John chapter 15 and we're moving on into this next section. Okay. So we've, we've dealt with the vine and the branches, the beginning of uh, chapter 15, the vine and the branches. And again, we talked about it, that, that what this is really showing, sorry, I need a little bit of water here or iced tea in this case. Um, so what we were seeing there in the vine and the branches, and we actually saw, um, so we got to remember, you know, we're still dealing with Jesus is, is ministering to the apostles. He's preaching to the, and teaching the apostles, the 11 that are left. Um, cause Judas is gone at this point. And this is still the upper room discourse. And again, he knows it's about to get ugly for them. So he's trying to lift them up. He's trying to provide them support to get, Fight, provide them some solid ground for they for their faith to sit on when this gets so ugly which it's going to do within hours within a few hours here okay we're not talking days away or weeks away we're talking a few hours that he is going to be taken from them and then they're going to watch him get beaten and whipped to the point he's not even physically recognizable as their lord and then he's going to be forced up the hill carrying his own cross and then crucified so their plans, what they what they were forming in their own heads, which were not necessarily within the will of God, nor would ours be. So I'm not bashing them. Please remember, I'm not bashing them. I'm just stating facts. So so they've come. They're going to come crashing down. So Jesus is trying to stabilize them. So he, he he continued on. You know, he tried to provide them some comfort through chapter 14, and then what we see here is in 15. We he's talking about the vine and the branches. And he's making clear, and, and again, what we also have to realize, and I don't think I really said it over the last three sessions when we were dealing with um, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, is 
what Jesus is stating when he's saying, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. And he goes on and he speaks about the vine branches and the blessings of those that are abiding branches, meaning they're really in him and the burning of the non-abiding branches, those that are not. And please understand, don't, don't, don't mistake me. Don't mistake it. Um, you're either an abiding branch or you're not. There is no, there is no third choice, fourth choice, fifth choice. You're either an abiding branch or you're not. And if you're not an abiding branch, you're going to be thrown in the fire. You're going to be thrown in the fire. That's all there is to it. It's like you're a slave of Christ or you're a slave of Satan. There is no in between. There is no other choices. That's a fact. You're a slave of Christ. You're a slave of this world, which means you're a slave of Satan. He is the, he is the prince of, of the power of this evil world. So you're either a slave of Christ or you're a slave of Satan. That's all there is to it. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's that black and white, but the way Jesus spoke of that and the verbiage he used, particularly the verbs he used were making clear or should have been making clear to the disciples, to these, to these 11, that he's not only speaking of the immediate moment, but he's speaking off into the future. He's making clear that no matter what's going to happen here, he is continuing to be the vine and God is continuing to be the vine dresser. And they will either continue to abide in him or not abide in him. He, he's making clear this is not going to be cut off or stopped. And he's been doing that throughout this. He's trying to make clear, we still have a mission. Like we saw that we still have a mission. We still have a job. We still, as he's going to say in Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20, that we still have a responsibility to go make disciples of all the world. Again, he's laying down the task list for Peter in the first century church, church in Judea and for Paul throughout the Gentile world. He's laying that down already that, that we still have a job to do and that he's still going to be there, but he's going to return to the father and he's going to send the paraclete, the, the, the Holy spirit. We still have a mission. Not, this is not ended. Things have adjusted a little bit, but it hasn't ended. And, and, and he's also made clear this is expected. God expected this. This is, this is meant to happen. So don't freak out about it, but he's continuing to try to lift them up. Like I said. And, you know, and, and speaking of the vine and the vine branches, the, the, the abiding branches versus the non-abiding branches. And again, at the same time, while he's doing that, he's making clear what those that abide in him that are truly, truly his adopted brothers and sisters, what they will look like, that they will bear fruit. They can't bear fruit without him, but that they will bear fruit. And that if they're not bearing fruit, then they're not his adopted brothers and sisters. They are not abiding in him. You, you can't abide in him and be unfruitful. Well, what we're going to see in this, in this section, the, the, this next section, verses 12 through 16 is like I said, we call it. And again, I take this from another theologian and his commentaries, a section about the friends of Jesus and what these friends look like. So please, please, please don't get lost down this rabbit hole. Like I've said, the black and white, you're either a friend of Jesus or you're not. And the only way you're a friend of Jesus is if you believe him, if you obey his commandments, if you love him, meaning you have a saving faith in him, meaning you abide in him, you're an abiding branch. 
That's the only way you're a friend in Jesus. So he's speaking of here when he when he goes on here in 12 through 16, he's speaking of the the abiding branches. Okay, he's not speaking of the non-abiding. He's speaking of those who are, who are his adopted sons and daughters or his adopted, I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, the adopted sons and daughters of of his father. That's who he's speaking of here. This, this isn't just random. So when it says friends of Jesus, understand these are those who have repented and believed in Christ. These are the friends of Jesus. So we're going to see four characteristics that they exhibit. And the one we're dealing with today is that the friends of Jesus love each other. Remember what I said about that, um, that verse in Proverbs, iron sharpens iron. Meaning brothers and sisters in Christ should be able to sharpen each other. They should be able to discuss and build up each other. And that's how they sharpen. I, I mean, if you've never sharpened anything, let, let me inform you. It is, I mean, I mean, at the easiest, it is, it is scraping. It's not really scraping. You, you have to understand it, but it's taking a, 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 a knife, say a pocket knife across a sharpening stone or a sharpening rod over and over and over. And the abrading that goes on puts a sharp edge on that knife. Uh, same would be true for an ax blade, a saw blade. Um, in those cases, usually you use, a, you use a file, but it's the same kind of thing. It's an abrasive action. That's iron sharpening iron, discussing, arguing, um, but um, working with each other through the verses. And in some cases, you may not come to the same opinion, but as long as you agree on the gospel, as long as you hold to the gospel, your brothers and sisters, but you're sharpening each other. But this is the thing. The friends of Jesus, they love each other. So let's read our verses. So I'm, I'm going to actually read all of it. So verses, uh, John 15 verses 12 through 16. So this is the whole section on the friends of Jesus. This is my commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would abide, so that whatever you ask of the father in my name he may give to you. So, the first two verses are what we're going to deal with today. And again, the friend of Jesus, the friends of Jesus love each other. This is my commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. So again, it, it, it you know, it, that sounds so simple, but the problem is, and, and it's very, very clear. I mean, and this isn't the first time Jesus has said this, even in the gospel of John, that they are to love one another just as he has loved them. And then he goes on, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. So, you know, it's very, very clear what we are to do. I, I mean, that's the thing. If you and I are truly saved, then we are the, these friends he's speaking of. 
these that he's going to go on to speak about bearing fruit. So we must love each other. And, and the, the reason I think it's such an issue is because we see so much within the church today, um, so much bashing of each other. Don't get me wrong. When a church is apostate, when what is coming from their pulpit is not the gospel, is not true scripture, then that's one thing. We, we've got to call that out. We, we must be in righteous indignation and anger. We much must call that out. Okay. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. But recently, um, ran across folks that I would have considered brothers. Um, and I, I guess they still are. I don't know that I'm calling into question their salvation by any means. I, I don't want to randomly do that. Um, not really my place. Um, that's between them and God. But they wanted to turn around and they wanted to throw shade on. And when I say that, I mean, they wanted to disparage those of us that believe in believer's baptism, what you would call credo baptism versus pedo baptism or infant baptism. They wanted to throw shade on us and they, and they, and they, they wanted to call us out and say, it's our fault that the church and society are falling apart because we're not committing our children to the worship of Christ. Just because we won't, won't baptize our babies. And that's really as simple as their argument was, but they basically personally attacked folks they were attacking us because we won't turn around and baptize our babies. And they imply, and this is the personal attack. They imply that that means that we don't disciple our children, that we don't raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that we don't catechize them, which we do all those things. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a Baptist. Okay. I'm a Baptist. Not, not because I'm part of a formal Baptist denomination. I'm a Baptist in belief. I am Baptistic. Okay. And yes, I've done the research. I, I I've taken a graduate level course on it and I truly believe in the Baptistic Baptistic way of approaching the scriptures and reading the scriptures. I believe it is supported scripturally and what that supports is credo baptism. Now I don't sit there and assault verbally or otherwise my Presbyterian brothers who believe in baptizing their children. I don't make the assumption that they don't, that they turn around and do that and just assume, okay, this one is going to be saved. This one is going to be in the church and then go off and ignore and don't disciple their children or, or teach their children or catechize their children. I don't assume that not in any way, shape or form, but these gentlemen who were people I had respected to that point, um, went and did exactly that. That's not loving one another. It's not. And they could, they could play it off all they wanted to and act like, oh, we're just trying to have a discussion. No, they weren't. They were assault, insulting. They were disparaging. And it was unacceptable. Now, I forgive them and I love them dearly. But I've yet to hear them truly repent of that. And I really would like them to, to truly repent of that. Not, not to make make it better, but for them to understand how unloving that was. And that's not an isolated inc incident. 
it, it goes on. And again, baptism, there are reasonable biblical arguments for both sides of it. I'm not able to make the, the, the inferred relationships or the inferred leaps I see in trying to believe the pedo baptistic side, but I don't disparage them either because I understand their arguments. I've actually looked into their arguments and debated back and forth, but I believe that the credo Baptist layout is more clear in scripture, but they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love them. And I would stand side by side with them in the battle line. Absolutely. I'm not going to stab them in the back. I'm not going to pee all over their shoes. And I'm sorry, that's a little bit, but you get what I'm, I'm saying. I, I, I'm not going to behave that way. They're my brother and sister in Christ. I love them. And again, I, I mean, this is one specific. And again, I'm not trying to argue about baptism here, but it's the thing that if we're truly brothers and sisters in Christ, then we have to love each other. We have to truly love each other. And again, so verse 13, and here's what I want you to get out of verse 13, is greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. It is really, really easy. And Pastor Jay talked about it. And believe me, I want to encourage you to go back, um, find Vale Valley Baptist Church on Facebook or at VVB Church on Twitter and listen to our Sunday, this past Sunday sermon from Jay. It was wonderful. And it actually speaks of this. And believe me, he spoke much better about it than I do. Okay. He, he was great. It was a wonderful, wonderful sermon, but it way too often. We read that the one lay down his life for his friends and, and the immediate where we go. And I do this too. And I've had to get myself out of this practice. And that's been recently, believe me, and hasn't been, <laughs> been for very long. We immediately think, okay, you're willing to die for your friends. Well, that's great. And I'm not saying that's not, that may not be the ultimate culmination but that's not what that's talking about. What that's talking about is giving your life for your friends. If I go and die, I can't sharpen them. They can't sharpen me. I can't help to edify them and equip them and lift them up and come alongside them. And they can't do that for me. So I would rather them live their life for me meaning laying down their whole life to lift me up, not die, but live to lift me up. And I would rather live to lift them up, not because I'm afraid to die, um, though I'm sure I'm just as afraid as anybody else, but not, not out of fear of where I'm going. But, but that's where we've got to understand it is, is that We've got to give our life because as Pastor Jade said this last su Sunday, and it is clear, and I, I think it's in Philippians where it says it, um, it, it's either there or Colossians, I think, but it's very, very clear that we have to put others before ourselves. As Pastor Jay said Sunday, everybody out there where we meet, and this is whether they're our brothers and sisters in Christ or not. If they're not our brothers and sisters in Christ, they are our mission field, and therefore they come before us. But our brothers and sisters in Christ, on top of that, should come before ourselves. We should put them before ourselves. We should love them more than ourselves. And if we do that, that means we will live to them and we would die for them. And that's why we got to do it. And if we do that, there's no way we can turn around and behave like I described to you. There's no way. 
Uh, Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this word, word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not work evil against a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Well, this is just speaking of neighbors throughout throughout the world. So, so people that may not be these friends of Jesus, or at least not yet. But it's telling us we should love everybody. I mean, that's the thing. When people want to sit around and they want to turn around and hate that's not what we're commanded to as Christians. That's not what we're commanded to. And believe me, with what I'm seeing going on in Israel, it's really, really hard not to hate, not to hate the animals running around over there. But I'm doing my best to not hate them, but to pity them and to pray in some way, shape or form. God will take hold of them and rip that hate out of them and bring them to a saving faith. And, and you know who I'm talking about. You know I'm not talking about the Israeli troops, the IDF troops. Okay, so just in case you didn't get that. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 Now concerning love of the brothers, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Again, we've got to love one another. In this case, it's definitely speaking of believers loving each other. Um, 1 John. 1 John. Um, th this same apostle writing in his epistles, the apostle writing his epistles, first uh, John two, nine through 11, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness blinded his eyes. Again, how do you call me your brother? yet stab me in the back like what I described, yet disparage me publicly like I described. I mean, I mean, they didn't argue a biblical point. I, I mean, I heard it. I, I mean, get, this is me not going on hearsay. I heard it. They distinctly disparaged those who disagree with them about baptism. Disparaged them. Didn't biblically argue their point disparage them. I've heard a biblical argument. R.C. Sproul makes a beautiful argument for pedo-baptism, but he never once disparaged John MacArthur for believing differently. They behaved with love towards each other. These gentlemen did not. And, and I would not if I did the same thing towards them. If I did the same thing within my own church, that, that's not acceptable. 1 John 3.10, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested. Everyone who does not do righteousness is not of God, as well as the one who does not love his brother. Again, we're not of God if we don't do that. And what it's what Jesus is saying here, um, what Jesus is saying here through John and that, and what he's saying in these, is that if we're not showing that love, we better be checking whether we're really in him whether we're really abiding in him because the fruit, what we're showing, the fruit we're showing, the, the nasty, gnarly, disgusting fruit we're showing makes clear that maybe we're not. First John 3, 14 and 15, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. The one who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Again, you can't behave that way towards somebody unless you have animosity towards them, unless you hate them. You may not hate them to the point of wanting to kill them, 
But to, to behave that way, to treat people that way that are supposed to be your brothers and sisters in Christ, that's hate. Whether you want to admit it or not, that's hate. That's sin. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Again, if you truly love, you can't behave that way. And I say that between you and I. It can be very, very hard. Um, believe me, um, church life can be very, very ugly. It doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't be, but it can be very, very ugly because people people get their feelings hurt. Um, people, people get bent out of shape. Um, people... Um, have had rough days and respond snappily towards their brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know we all need to have a little bit of a tougher, tougher skin, but at the same time, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. These are the ones you've got to be willing to come alongside constantly and, 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 and lift them up, get underneath their arm and lift them up and help them walk their walk, no matter what it costs you. And if we won't do that, then we truly have no right to consider ourselves the abiding vines, to be truly saved. Because if that's that much of a chore, then have we truly been, been regenerated? 1 John 4.20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I, that says it right there. I mean, what more do we need? 1 John 5.1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the one who gives new birth loves also the one who has been born of him. So again, it's making clear, if you love Christ, if you truly believe and thus love Christ, then you have to love your brothers. So if you're struggling to love your brothers, do you truly love Christ? Again, it's it, it goes right along with 1 John 4.20 there, that I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Romans 5, 6-8, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If God did that for us, in Ephesians 5, 1, we are called to be imitators of God. Um, I forget which of Paul's other epistles where he talks about be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Christ is God incarnate. So if we're to be imitators of them and God demonstrated that love, while we were yet sinners, while we were disgusting, repugnant, and at war with him, he died for us. He sent Christ to die for us. Then how can we not manifest that same love to our brothers and sisters? Now, I'm not saying in most cases people do. Sure, I would hope they do within the church. But I've seen, seen way too much behavior that is unacceptable. And, and, and the fact is, I, the sad fact is, I think there is a great need for discernment ministry out there. Um, and if you want to see how it's done right, Justin Peters, he does it beautifully. Because while he will call out the false, while he will call out the apostate, while he will call out the heretic, he loves his brothers and sisters in Christ. He loves them. And he has sacrificed so much in manifesting that love for them. So I, 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 you know, but I've seen way too many of them out there that all they're looking to, 
looking to do is hate on those that differ from them. And, and in the majority of cases that I've seen, they hate on those that differ for the, from them in the secondary and tertiary issues, the secondary and tertiary points. They don't differ with them on the gospel. So if that's the case, they've got to love each other. If they're so bent on hating, and that's what that is. It's nothing else than that. If they're so bent on hating, then they better get on their knees and they better repent. We all better. I mean, because that's the thing. I, I, I say this to them, but I'm saying this for myself too. It is way too easy to hate. It is way too easy to hate. And hate leads to being a non-abiding vine. No, I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. But if it's that easy to hate and it's that hard to love your brothers and sisters or those you profess to be your brothers and sisters, then you better check your salvation. We better check our salvation because I'm not so sure that we're actually those abiding vines that we spoke of. All right, that's going to do it for this evening. Thank you for spending this time with me. I continue to pray that this time in the word um, helps to helps to bring you to a point where you got a deeper understanding of the scriptures. Um, I love you so much. That's why I come in it. That's why I get so passionate about it because I want you and I, sorry, you and me, I, sorry, I got to correct that for my wife. She's going to red pin me. You and me, I want you and me to truly, truly grow in our walk so that more and more we become imitators of God and imitators of Jesus Christ. All right, let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the third day evening prayer. It's called Before Sleep. Let's pray. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand minister to thee, ten thousand times ten thousand stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us, thy promises encourage us, our broken hearts incite us, the mediator draws us, thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in the, a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right. Again, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening and I hope to see you have, have, um, I'm sorry. I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a great night. God bless. Mm -hmm.